0: Welcome to Heart to Heart with Michael, featuring your host, Michael Lieben. Our program is designed to empower the bereaved community with information and stories from those who have suffered the most terrible loss. Michael himself, a bereaved father, will be meeting with people from around the world to share and to draw hope from their experiences. And now, here is Michael Lieben.
1: Welcome, friends, to the seventh episode of the first season of Heart to Heart with Michael, a program for the bereaved community. Our purpose is to empower bereaved members of our community with resources, support, and advocacy information. Today's show is Losing Loved Ones to a Misdiagnosis. Here with us today to discuss this topic are our guests, Jackie Renfro and Willadeen Gist. Jackie is a mother and a grandmother of children who have had or currently have Long QT syndrome. Willardine, Jackie's mother, grew up in the shadow of a loss to long QT syndrome because her father died from this genetic heart problem. Jackie's grandfather, Willardine's father, had seizures and died unexpectedly in his sleep. Jackie's mother also started experiencing seizures at a young age. When Jackie had her children, Jimmy and Chrissy, no one expected both of them would also die at a young age. Since her devastating losses, Jackie has been raising awareness of long QT syndrome and having her family and others tested for it. Jackie's granddaughters are currently being treated at Riley Hospital. Several family members are also going through genetic testing. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Michael, Jackie, and Willa Dean, and we'll begin with Willa Dean.
2: Hi. Hi.
1: Willa Dean, what do you remember about your childhood? What memories do you have of your father?
3: Oh, very few. I was only three when he died.
1: Do you know anything about what he had?
3: Uh, No, I don't remember that. I remember my grandma saying that he smothered and he'd run to the door mm. and gasped for breath. And I, I believe that he he was, was almost an invalid. But anyhow, he went to bed that night and, and uh, he didn't wake up.
1: Did anybody explain what he had or I guess really nobody knew?
3: No, nobody. It in in 1932, they didn't know a, a lot about anything. Mm-hmm. So they they thought he ate ate fish, mm. and fish in the milk, they said killed him. But then in, in those days, people just didn't realize. They were grasping for straws, I guess.
1: Well, that's very interesting because we like to say um, that, you know, in, in every age, it's, it's always nice to say we know more now than we ever did before. And I remember that when my daughter was born 20 years ago, the first thing my doctor said was, well, be happy it's now and not 20 years ago. And I'm thinking they probably said that 20 years ago. They probably said that 40 years ago. And they probably said that 60 years ago and how little they knew and and how much we've learned since then. <laughs> How long after your father's death was it when you began having seizures? And did you connect your experience with everything that your father went through? And were you concerned that you might meet the same end?
3: Uh, well, I did, but but my family didn't, I don't think. Uh, he died when I was about three. And I had, uh, at, at, when I started having my periods and stuff is when I t- started having seizures. So I was about 11 or 12 when I started them. My grandmother thought I died, of mm. course. And then from then then on, occasionally I would, would have a seizure till uh, I had children, and then I got real bad.
1: Can you tell me what a typical seizure was like?
3: Oh, well, I would feel like I was going to die, you know, and... and and I, I was real frightened.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, I'd wake up and and I felt like I couldn't give my breath, and I'd flop around. My husband would try to hold me down because he didn't know what to do either. And I I felt I couldn't breathe. I I, I would just gasping for breath. And then when I would come out of it, I was totally wiped out. I was exhausted. Till uh, I rest for several hours, and then then I'd be getting better.
1: How long would so. the seizure last? A few minutes.
3: Just a few minutes, yes.
1: Now this all began when you were eleven. It got worse when you were having children. When you were finally diagnosed, how old were you?
3: <laughs> seventy-two.
1: That's the part that I, I that amazes me. What did they think you had for seventy-two years?
3: Okay. Well, after. I worked and everything, and after uh, I, I finished having children, after a while, I, I guess I thought I was better because I, I didn't have them anymore.
1: Mm.
3: And then in 72, I was was having a nervous spell, and I was taken to the hospital, and that's when they found that I had long QT.
1: So you're saying that you were actually clear, you had no seizures till you were seventy two from I'm guessing about thirty years. So that's pretty amazing. Um Yes it is. So you lived with long QT for seventy two years, thirty of them clear. And did they did did anybody along the way say you had anything? Did they explain what the seizures were? They thought I
3: had, they had epilepsy, they said.
1: Did did they say the same thing about your father or they just didn't know anything about that?
2: They didn't say anything about him then. They had actually did an article on her dad um, saying he'd had a massive heart attack.
1: That's what they knew, I guess, you know, but in, 1930s. in the but... In
2: the meantime,
3: I had two or three daughters, it's two daughters that started having seizures. And, uh, a grandchild has started having seizures. Everybody said I had epilepsy.
1: And so they thought the whole family had epilepsy for three generations?
3: I guess that's
2: what they thought.
3: They really didn't know what Yes, we had.
2: even though it wasn't hereditary.
1: When did long QT first become discovered as something that needed to be known about?
3: Well, I didn't know anything about it till until they took me to the hospital and told me I had it. 2003.
1: Two thousand three so the yes. 2003 is when you discovered that your mother had uh, long q t yeah when when was it first medically recognized that long q t was something because obviously in her father 's day they didn 't know what it was so when did when did people find that out
2: nineteen eighty one Dr Vincent discovered it in
1: nineteen eighty one so from the thirties to the eighties fifty years of of family history. A lot of people have this, nobody knows what it is, and they just assumed it was epilepsy. And in 1981, they continued assuming that? There was no reason to think Well, there
2: ones. was, uh, I, I'm not sure, I don't remember clearly about what, uh, but Dr. Vincent, it was something to do with his wife and his sister, and he kept seeing the same thing happen, and he began doing research on it. And that's when he discovered that the long QT intervals were longer, and that was causing the heart to go chaotic, causing leading cardiac arrest.
1: Okay. Uh, First of all, Jackie, I want to uh, welcome you into the program, and thank you for joining us. For people listening, the voice didn't change suddenly. Uh, We're now speaking with uh, Willa Dean's daughter, Jackie. Who will be joining us for the next segment of the program? As we get ready now for a break, we'll be talking more with Jackie about losing her children, Jimmy and Chrissy, and how she coped with their first diagnosis, and then learning that the diagnosis was incorrect.
0: Hi, I'm John Montez of NBC's hit acapella show, The Sing Off. In acapella music, it takes a team to create a sound that many will enjoy, just like it'll take a team to help my good friend Miles Schweitzer, an HLHS survivor. Let's help Miles fulfill his dream and make a big enough sound to bring awareness to congenital heart disease. Please visit him at GoFundMe.com backward slash the Miles Project. Miles with the Y. Again, that's GoFundMe.com TheMilesProject. Project. This is from Miles. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Michael. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our program, please send an email to Michael Lieben at Michael at hearttoheart heart with michael dot com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Michael.
1: Today, we've been talking with Willie Dean Gist about losing her father when she was very young. Now, we turn to her daughter, Jackie Renfro, who lost two precious children to what they thought was epilepsy. Jackie, tell us a little bit about Jimmy and Chris. What were they like?
2: Oh, they were fun, loving, caring kids. Um, Just appeared to be just your average kids. Jimmy was uh, married and had a daughter. Um... He was talking about going back to college and pursuing a career, um, moving, buying a home. And uh, then that's when, unfortunately, he lost his life.
1: What about Chrissy?
2: Oh, she was a character. She was just, um, you never knew knew what she was going to do. Very, very sweet, caring girl. But she ended up having a child after we lost Jimmy, but...
1: When did they start showing uh, signs that that something was wrong?
2: Uh, Jimmy began at about 11. He one day went out to get the mail, and he came in. He was standing at the front door, and he just fell over the couch having a seizure.
1: Now, did you recognize that as something you'd seen before in, in you or your mother?
2: Yes. Also, my sister, Yeah. yes. And my nieces had already began having them at that point.
1: How old were you when you started having seizures?
2: Um, I believe I was six years old.
1: Can you describe what that's like being six years old and having a seizure?
2: Well, actually, unfortunately, in our family, it seemed to be common. It was just the way of life. We would make a phone call and say, well, you know, she had a seizure today. And, um, But I, what had happened with me when I was six, that I was running down to the neighbors my brother and sister were having an argument and of course I was running so there, my heart was beating fast and all of a sudden I just remember seeing spots in front of my eyes and I ran into a rose bush and then I remember my sister carrying me into the neighbor's house so of course mom took me to the doctor and they put me on the same medicine that they'd been treating the whole family with for years.
1: Which was for epilepsy. Yes. Now, did that help? Did that hurt? Did that just do nothing? I mean,
2: I honestly do think it helped. I think one day they'll find out some of the medications that we've taken um, probably helped save our lives to live so long. Uh, unfortunately, they did not give these medications to my children because, ironically, the Dilantin causes your gums to swell, and I feel like that that. I honestly think that played a role in it. I think they'll find out. I don't. I can't prove it, but I just think the medications we were on the the dilantin and the phenobarbital uh, helped the long QT.
1: Well, what do they give for long QT now?
2: Beta blockers.
1: Now I I admit to to being completely innocent of knowledge on on this. So. What they're giving now is that anything like what they give for epilepsy? Is it anything like what you got for epilepsy?
2: No, it's uh, more of a it's a beta blocker, which is kind of more of a blood pressure pill. Anything mm-hmm. that ends in like I take metoprolol, so to, the toporol, the ending operol that's usually what we take for that. Plus, you normally have an implanted defibrillator, an mm-hmm. ICD, which is a pacemaker and then your device to shock you. So hopefully if our heart starts going out of rhythm, then it'll pace it right back to where it should be.
1: And that is together with medication or in place of medication?
2: No, both. Mm -hmm. Yes, we have both of
1: them. Your children were first diagnosed with epilepsy. At what point were they diagnosed with long QT or were they not?
2: Uh, They never were diagnosed with long QT, It was in 2003 when Mom was taken to the hospital. We had just lost Chrissy. It was May 2003, and we had lost Chrissy July 2002. Mm. We were that close to we would have been able to save Chrissy. Oh,
1: that that must be that must be really hard. That must be really hard. That
2: was that was rough. It all's been it all was rough.
1: Is there is there any explanation how your mother, I mean, she's a miracle. Over 70 before they figured out what she had. Now they can treat it, and now, you know, that's not the issue that it was before. How can they explain how she's been surviving this for so long without really knowing what it was and with taking the wrong medication?
2: Well, I I don't know. We're We're not really sure, but once again, I'm kind of going back to <laughs> – um, the dilantin, and she was on a different type of nerve medicine because, see, you got to remember, we had heart, sorry, our heart beat fast, so we would take, we thought we had bad nerves, so we would increase our medications if our heart started racing. I think that might have played a role in it because I know in 1980. Nineteen eighty one, I think I would come real close to death. I was twenty one years old, and I had just had my daughter, and um, they. I was on Dilantin and phenobarbital and they increased my Di- uh, phenobarbital and I honestly think that helped save my life.
1: I'm I'm still trying to wrap my head around this: that you were all diagnosed with the wrong thing, got the wrong medications, and it's possible that even the wrong medication kept you on long enough until they can make the right diagnosis.
2: Yes, that's, I mean, I remember the doctors would just increase my medication and I literally, I couldn't even get up out of bed to go to the hospital. My heart was going so fast Mm -hmm. and I had such a bad seizure. um, I, I honestly felt like I was dying and my son kept yelling mommy. And I, I honestly think that's the only thing that saved me.
1: Both you and your mother have told me the same thing that that uh, a seizure is you feel like you're dying. I've never had a seizure. I've never had that kind of seizure. I don't know how to even relate to what you're telling me, but how how what is that like? you feel you're dying? do you do you see the end? I mean
2: it, it was just, I just remember it being really dark and you kind of start being aware. you can hear people talking but you mm-hmm. can't move. It's like you're trapped. It's but your mind's still going. It's it's awful. It's a very awful thing to have to experience.
1: I watched my daughter have epileptic seizures and I think and it was for her it was difficult to to communicate because she was also autistic. But I think the only thing that she really didn't like in life were those moments of seizure because I could see it on her face, she, the total lack of control. And the total not understanding what was happening to her, I think it was terrible. But they were over much quicker. These, what you're describing, could take several minutes and then you'd need to rest for several hours.
2: Exactly, yes. And it was really bad with my daughter. I remember uh, when she was young, she would turn blue. I would see her when she was having a seizure she she would quit breathing and I told a neurologist that and he told me you don't quit breathing during a seizure and I argued with him and told him she was you know she wasn't breathing and he told me she was but I, I know she wasn't
1: well I'm sorry we're gonna to have to take a break right here at that at that real difficult moment and I appreciate that you and your mother have been with us and talking about your experiences with long QT And I thank you for being so candid about the loss of your children. These are very difficult things to talk about. We're grateful that you shared how you learned from their ultimate diagnosis of long QT syndrome. The story of your journey from misdiagnosis to grieving parent has much to teach us. So please stay tuned. In our next segment, we're going to be talking with Jackie and Willadine again, how genetic testing gave them hope for the future. summer camps for CHD survivors, and much, much more.
0: You are listening to Heart to Heart with Michael. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on Michael's program, please email him at michael at com. Now, back to our program.
1: Welcome back to Heart to Heart with Michael, a program for the bereaved. We are here with Willa Dean Gist and her daughter, Jackie Renfro. These women have shared their stories with us about losing loved ones to lung QT syndrome and how misdiagnosis affected their lives. Willa Dean, when Jackie's children died so suddenly, did it bring back memories of your father and your childhood? And did genetic testing become a part of the conversation with the medical professionals?
3: Well, no, really, I was too small when my dad died to even remember, but it it broke my heart because I, I knew that they had the same thing I had because they were having the same problem and it made me feel kind of guilty. You know, they were my babies.
1: Why Why would you feel guilty?
3: Because I feel like I did it to them. You know, they got it from me. Oh, I I felt like that way at the time.
1: Well, did you know it was genetic? Did you I mean no. at that point
3: No, but it was happening through several generations, so you know you you figure that it's something you passed on.
1: I'm very sorry to hear that, and I hope that you feel better now knowing that it's not anything that you could have done or changed.
3: Oh, I do. I do, but I just wish, well, it just wasn't to be, so.
1: I understand. How has genetic testing now been a part of your life? You've been tested. Anybody else?
3: Oh, yeah. The whole family's been tested. Actually, my son just, well, he knew he had it. But uh, just two or three months ago, he had the, He had to go in and have a defibrillator put in. And and, uh, I guess he was in pretty bad shape when they got him in there. How's he doing? He's doing great now. But he still can't drive for several months.
1: Has anybody thought about how this is that it's affecting everybody? I mean, I know that it's genetic, but sometimes when it's genetic... Somebody slips through the cracks. Somebody doesn't get it. It appears to me that now there isn't anyone who hasn't been touched by this
3: <laughs> not not in our immediate family no i
1: we're we're talking about four generations of everybody.
3: I have relatives that i'm I'm sure I had one cousin to die in her sleep in twenty seven She had epilepsy, of course. Her daughter killed herself because she was having seizures so bad. <laughs> and uh, I think there was another one in her family that, uh, but they won't listen. They won't listen to you.
1: Oh, so they they're, they're still they're saying still epilepsy?
2: Yeah, and I've sent them the um, genetic testing. That they that they were related to me, and I had what mutations I have with the long QT, and they still haven't really responded to it.
1: What's it like when you find out? There's a this, they're a prime example. What is it like when you find out that it's a misdiagnosis? That everything you know essentially is wrong. What 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 is that look like?
2: It was just like a jigsaw puzzle, and you had all these pieces that fit in. And you knew there was something wrong, but you just didn't know what the final piece was. Because Mm. after Jimmy died and Chrissy died, I remember sitting there and I had there was about 10 months then before we found out. And I would look at their kids and think they're going to die of the same thing if I don't figure out what it is. Well, our resources, of course, weren't like they are today But still, you need a physician or somebody to kind of guide you in the right direction or hopefully someone is raising awareness
1: Mm. so
2: you can hear about it. But I remember looking at those kids thinking they're going to die the same way that their parents died, and I I didn't know what to do to stop it. And it still worries me, even though they have defibrillators, but... When I, mom was diagnosed um, at St. Vincent's Hospital in Indianapolis, I called the physician that saw uh, my daughter and I, and I told him, I said, my mom has a heart condition called long QT, and I said, I'm sure that's what we have, and that's what killed my children. And he even told me, no, you don't have long QT, it's too rare, there's no way. And I said, well, they're telling me we do, and I'm not, I know we do.
1: And on what did he base this? his answer, you don't, just because he assumed it's too rare? Because, he didn't check?
2: Because he told me that the odds of someone coming into his office and having long QT were slim to none. I said, well, it happened.
1: It happened a lot.
2: Yeah, it still is happening a lot. And I feel like there's a lot of people out there. There's not a whole lot of awareness a uh, young people having heart conditions.
1: Well, you said that you need somebody, you need a physician, and you need somebody who can raise awareness. In your case, there wasn't anyone to raise awareness. There was just you. You had to be the one to raise the awareness for yourself. How does that happen? You, If if you hadn't, you wouldn't.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, that you have to think that was... The internet was just beginning to become popular. Now we can get on there and possibly Google things and come out with some type of an answer. But then, there was nothing we We just knew that we had something wrong, and I knew I couldn't explain why my children were gone, and we were all here. It made no sense. then, like I said, the only thing I can make heads or tails of is possibly the medication that we were on because Jimmy and Chrissy were both on the Tegretol, and they had always kind of give us something to help with our nerves because of our hearts pounding so fast, but they didn't want to do that with them feel like if they would have maybe just maybe they would have been okay.
1: Let me ask you one final question now. We have genetic testing, we can recognize it. Doctors are more aware of it. How is it possible today, somebody has long QT, um what does life like? How does he live? What does he what does he know not to do? What does he know he can do? How does that work?
2: I think that as long as you have a defibrillator, I think you can pretty much do anything besides competitive sports. Uh, They don't want you doing that. Of course, you couldn't do a track and field. You know, you could do golf. There's certain you have to kind of know your boundaries with long QT. And especially there's certain ages. I feel like it's probably a little bit worse than others. Puberty, Mm -hmm. uh, females, when you have your. Your cycles, I feel like you, your hormones are out mm-hmm. of whack um, after, not while you're pregnant, while you're pregnant, you're fine. It's after you give birth. It's mm. It's we've all come near death after birth.
1: We're about to close the program, but I just have to say that I am full of awe and respect for both you and your mother who have somehow, without diagnosis, managed to go many, many years longer than you would think possible and somehow got through it to survive to a diagnosis and I am I'm very pleased that you were able to do that. I I wish that medicine had come along faster in time for your children and I'm I'm very sorry for that and I, I share in your sorrow. Well thank but you I, for I am,
2: having us on your show today.
1: Well it's I would like to say it's been a pleasure. It's been very informative. It's been very real and one of the one of the more difficult experiences I've had because I'm talking with two women who survived at a time when they might not have. And they have children and grandchildren who were just on the edge of being able to be saved by medical science that came through just a little bit too late. And I'm deeply moved by this. And I'm in awe of these people, these women that I'm speaking with today. I think the best lesson we can learn from this month's program is that genetic testing is critical. And Also, if you think you have something and you're not sure, if you suspect something, make sure that your doctor listens to you. Make sure that you are heard because maybe you know something, as in the case of this family, that they were able to at some point save themselves and their future generations because they stood up and said, this is what it looks like and this is what I think we have. And with that, we're going to conclude this episode of Heart to Heart with Michael. I want to thank Jackie and Dean for sharing with us and we hope that their story has brought some hope to the people who are listening. I'll be with you soon, and until then, remember, it's okay to read.
0: Thank you again for joining us. We hope you have gained strength from listening to our program. Heart to Heart with Michael can be heard every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. We'll talk again next time when we'll share more stories. If you would like to continue today's discussion, Please join us right after the program in the HUG podcast chat room on Pal
1: Talk.